During this Easter season, we have been turning to John to tell us the stories of Jesus's post-resurrection appearances before his ascension to the Father. Next week is Ascension Sunday, which means that this week is the last of John's stories for us. In a way, the story this week is not a new story, but more of an extension of the story he told us last week. If you remember, last week John told the, the story of Jesus' visit with the seven disciples who had gone fishing on the Sea of Galilee. They had fished all night in their own wisdom and strength and had caught nothing. But Jesus filled their nets in the morning with a mere word. He is the source of all good things, of life itself. And this morning we are going to hear the story about how one of these seven disciples found Jesus to be also the source of all forgiveness and divine reconciliation. In a way, the story of Simon Peter, son of John, is in miniature the story of a redeemed humanity. For the history of the world in which we find ourselves is none other than the story of God pursuing reconciliation with the people he created in his own image and likeness. Humanity was created to inhabit two worlds, the spiritual and the physical, simultaneously. We were created to commune with God as we live on this solid ground we call earth. A relationship with God is therefore an assumption set into our souls, which became deeply unsettled and troubled by our estrangement from him. We offended him and have offended him with our refusal to live according to his design for us. But even as we rebel, our souls long for the intimacy lost between creature and creator. Unwittingly and ignorantly, we seek satisfaction for this inner longing, but inevitably look in all the wrong places and settle for things that can never satisfy. Only God can satisfy our restless souls. But knowing that we will never pursue him on our own, God graciously sets out in pursuit of us. The Son of God came to us. And through him, through his vicarious life, death, and resurrection, we are reconciled back to God, our creator, and are restored to our initial position of God and humanity working together to accomplish his purposes in this world. It is the grand narrative in which we live, but it is a story told over and over again in the individual lives of those whom God reconciles back to himself through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is the story of Peter as well. In Peter, therefore, we read about God's posture towards those of us who have offended him and yet desire reconciliation. In Peter's story, we see just how tenderly and graciously God deals with us. Jesus comes to Peter, and it is Jesus who starts the conversation, just as he did with Thomas the Doubter. From the beginning, it is Jesus who initiates reconciliation, even though he is the offended party. Even in the Garden of Eden, it is Jesus who went looking for Adam and Eve, asking, where are you? So great is his love for us that he is willing to absorb our wrong into himself in order to draw closer to us, to pursue us. And having approached us, 
he begins this delicate conversation with us, not as we would. He does not recount or enumerate our wrongs. He does not replay any harsh words regretfully spoken. He does not engage in the fruitless war of he said, she said. Although Peter had three times denied even knowing him, Jesus makes no mention of it in their first conversation since Peter's denial. He does not replay how Peter's denial made him feel. He does not need to be understood by us because our transformation is his goal. And he brings this transformation about by offering us a fresh start. He knows that guilt is not transformative, but hope is. And to quote the, the band Mumford and Sons, it's not the long walk home that will change this heart, but the welcome I receive with every start. The, the prospect of a new start is hopeful and always on tap with Jesus. It's always available. He communicates this to Peter by simply referring to him as Simon. Simon. Simon was the name given to him at birth. Simon is how he was first introduced to Jesus before Jesus gave him the name Peter. The name Simon, which Jesus used every time he engaged Simon in conversation. The name Simon harkens back to when their relationship first began, long before Simon had even once denied Jesus or said any of the other stupid things that have been recorded for us in the Gospels. Jesus calls him Simon, and he is signaling a new start for him. All that had transpired between them since the first meeting was forgiven. It was as if everything was new again. Jesus was lifting Simon's eyes off the ground so that he could begin to look to a future filled with hope and potential again. And Jesus again called him in verse 19, just as he did when they first met, saying to him, follow me. He is always calling us to follow him into a future full of hope. And to make that future hope more hopeful, he tells us what awaits us there. For Peter, this vision comes in verse 18, where Jesus tells him, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. It's a strange prediction prediction. And yet John explicitly tells us in the following verse that Jesus said this to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. Jesus told Peter that he was going to be killed. And indeed, tradition holds that he was crucified like Jesus. Only Peter refused to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus and instead insisted on being crucified upside down. And whether or not that tradition is true, Jesus told Peter that he was going to die in order to fill his future with hope. But why was a prediction about the nature of his death a hopeful thing? Because it was a promise that the thing that most distressed Peter about himself would be undone. 
The reason why Peter had denied Jesus in the first place is because he cared more about his own flesh than he did about Jesus. He denied Jesus in order to save himself that cruel and unjust evening when Jesus was put to death. But Jesus is telling Peter that another moment is going to come for Peter when he will again have to decide between himself and Jesus. And this time he will choose Jesus. He tells Peter that he's not destined to merely repeat the errors of his past, but that freedom awaits him in the future. He will be made more holy through the work of the Spirit within him. What distresses him now will be undone then. It is the exact same vision that he gives to all who come to him in faith. Whatever evil afflicts you, a future awaits you in which it will be gone. In his first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul comes right out and tells us God's plan for our future. He writes, this is the will of God, your sanctification. God makes his children more holy in time. The spirit dwelling within you will pose challenging questions to your soul, just as Jesus asked of Peter, do you love me more than these? And he forces us to answer these questions so that we might no longer set our love on undeserving objects, but on Christ alone, whom loving makes us more holy and perfect. The future that he promises us is one in which our most distressing faults are absent. It's certainly not a linear line to holiness, because sanctification includes failure. For Peter, it was failure of a magnitude of, of denying God even. But with Jesus, there is always grace and forgiveness. On, his, on the way towards this glorious vision of ourselves, we can restart multiple times a day even. His grace is greater than all of our sin, and where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And nowhere is this more obvious. And then the fact that Jesus asked Peter three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Why did he insist on asking this of Peter three times? It was clearly distressing to Peter that he should do so. Verse 17 says that Peter was grieved at the third asking because he presumed Jesus did not believe him. And Peter had no other way of making his affections for Jesus known. But Jesus did not ask Peter three times in order to distress him. Nor did he ask because he doubted Peter's affection. Jesus asked Peter his question three times in order that Peter might be made more confident that his threefold denial has been entirely forgiven and covered over by grace. Augustine puts it beautifully when he writes, To the threefold denial, there is now appended a threefold confession that his tongue may not yield a feebler service to love than to fear. And imminent death may not appear to have elicited more from the lips than present life. Let it be the office of love to feed the Lord's flock if it was the signal of fear to deny the shepherd. And it was so. Peter's denial was completely forgiven through his threefold confession of love. 
God's grace proved greater than Peter's sin. But in his reception of grace, Peter was also being pressed into service so that the guilty, now forgiven, was employed in Christ's holy service and so became a participant in the activity of divine reconciliation in this world. Feed my sheep, he tells Peter. The man who once denied Jesus has now been granted authority in his kingdom. It was a transformation initiated by Christ and brought about by his grace. It is a transformation, transformation that is common to all of God's children. He issues forgiveness to set you free. But then he invites you to participate with him in this world so that your joy may serve as the sole motivation for your work in this world. We give in response to receiving in abundance. Unworthy as we are, and we are as unworthy as Peter was, yet God employs us in his divine activity. We have, as the Apostle Paul says, been given the ministry of reconciliation so that we might extend to the world the grace and forgiveness we ourselves have received in Christ. And if your sin should cause you to doubt this privileged position in Christ as one of his ministers in this world, then make your appeal the same as Peter's. For Peter did not appeal to his works every time Jesus asked him, do you love me? He appealed to the knowledge of Jesus alone. Peter was asked three times, do you love me? And not once did he respond by pointing to the many good things he had done. Neither was he comforted by his own emotions or feelings of love. Instead, three times he replied, you know that I love you. He appealed to God's knowledge of him because he knew that there's no assurance to be found in our own fickle hearts or rationalizing minds when we have denied God and sinned against him. Our only hope in life and in death is that we are known by a God who loves us, who has sought us out in Jesus Christ in order to reconcile us back to himself. In him, <coughs> in him there is forgiveness for past sin and a hopeful future stretching out before us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.